Hi, George Lavender here. You can listen, like, and subscribe to the Making Contact podcast, that's the one you're listening to right now, on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and most major podcast channels. That way you won't miss a single episode. And if you rate us or share the show on Facebook or Twitter, other people get to know the show too. So thanks a lot for that. Here's the show. Today on Making Contact, we bring you Barbara Bernstein's coverage from the Pacific Northwest of the United States. Climate activists there are fighting mammoth fracked gas projects that would turn this green region into a fracked gas export hub. And now, Holding the Thin Green Line, Part 1, the world's largest methanol refinery. Y'all excited to be here? Y'all excited to be here in the rain? Yeah! That's right, it just rain's not going to stop us, but we are going to stop an oil terminal. It's the end of January in 2018. And we're standing in a large crowd of Vancouver, Washington area residents, celebrating Governor Jay Inslee's decision to pull the plug on North America's largest oil-by-rail terminal, slated for the port of Vancouver. Thank you, Governor Inslee, for listening to the people who submitted more than 1.3 million comments against the Tesoro Savage Project. Thank you for saying no to this project that was wrong for Vancouver, wrong for the state of Washington, and wrong for the planet. And now, Governor, please help us move on to a renewable energy future by recognizing that natural gas is not a bridge fuel. While communities across the Pacific Northwest were defeating coal and oil projects, new frack gas proposals began to slip under the radar. In 2014, Northwest Innovation Works, a Chinese government-backed company, signed preliminary leases with the ports of Kalama, Washington, Port Westwood, Oregon, and Tacoma to build three massive methanol refineries. These facilities would import frac gas from Canada and refine it into methanol, which would be shipped to China to manufacture plastics. We found out that the city and the port were planning to build the world's largest methanol refinery right here in our port. Claudia Reedner has lived in Tacoma since 1998. She's a ceramic artist and co-founder of the grassroots environmental group Redefine Tacoma. They were throwing about 70 to 100,000 plastic bags every week with advertisements in them. And we got really upset and we decided to go to these neighborhood councils to get the community to put pressure on the city and on the paper to stop this ridiculous littering with plastic bags. So I went to a neighborhood council to talk about the plastic bags. And when they introduced the methanol project... Suddenly, it was very clear that those plastic bags, while a nuisance, were just like a drop in a bucket compared to being the world's largest plastic spigot to the world. I went home with a really heavy heart, and the first thing I did was research about what methanol was and where else in the world they were doing this. Finally, I was so concerned that I started the move-on petition. I saw Claudia Reedner's water petition. Nanette Reitz lives in northeast Tacoma and is part of Redefined Tacoma. I thought, what the heck is this? I didn't know anything about it. She actually had her phone number on there, and I called her. And she set up a meeting at our local community. We decided that it was really important to go to the different neighborhoods and have different meetings. So the first meeting we organized was shortly thereafter in northeast Tacoma, directly downwind from the port. We had a completely full house. We were totally shocked how many people showed up. 
my wife went to a meeting. She came home and said, you're not going to believe this. Val Pifone is a union representative and Tacoma activist. We started to research and learn about the methanol refinery, the water it was going to consume, and the greenhouse gases it was going to emit. It became really obvious that this is a big problem and somebody has to step up to stop it. We tried to talk to the city council. They would politely listen to us, but we would not elicit any responses. They told us that they couldn't speak on the project, that they basically had a gag order. And then we find out that our mayor was in a video promoting it. There was Jay Inslee, our governor, Marilyn Strickland, our then mayor of Tacoma, and Connie Bacon, who was a port commissioner at the time, touting methanol, touting the environmental benefits. Tacoma is one of the few places in the Northwest where you've got a big industrial city that has a legacy of heavy contamination. Eric DePlace is director of the Thin Green Line at Sightline Institute in Seattle. You had the Arsarco smelter, you've got paper and pulper production at a massive scale, oil refinery that's still there. We had a joke about when I was a kid, the Tacoma aroma, the smell that you'd notice when you were passing by the port area. For tens of thousands of years, the port of Tacoma was an estuary that was one of the most biologically rich and diverse areas in this region. Bill Kapinski teaches literature and creative writing at the University of Puget Sound. Then in a little more than a century, it has become one of the most toxic places in the United States. Osarco was basically a big smelter. Todd Hay leads a data team at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and is president of Advocates for Cleaner Tacoma. They would do mining for copper north of Lake Chelan, and they'd rail it into the old Osarco smelter, and they'd smelt that down, releasing a whole bunch of lead and arsenic into the air. And so it created a pretty massive plume. The stack was here when I moved here, and shortly after I moved here, they took it down. I thought we were working towards a cleaner, greener Tacoma, and busy raising my kids, I didn't realize until several years later the industries that they've allowed to come in and continue to pollute. A lot of the ports built on fill material that they brought in, say from the old Osarco slag. Well, it's just toxic waste under there. The Tacoma Pierce County Health Department is continuing to do soil removals, even to this day where the plume impacted the neighbors. We've seen this history of, oh, we need these projects like Asarco, but then we can't use the land for anything else until later. We have to clean it up. And guess who pays? The public pays for it all the time. Kristen Eng is a Tacoma lawyer who is running for a position on the Port of Tacoma Commission. Corporations leave or they only want to clean up half of it or a quarter of it. Otherwise, they say, well, we'll file bankruptcy. We heard about a meeting called the Thin Green Line. That's where we met Eric Deplas. And we realized just how threatened our little green ribbon of environment is by all these fossil fuels that are being fracked and extracted and they need to find a way to market and the way to market goes right through the Puget Sound area. Northeast British Columbia, northern Alberta have just staggering reserves of natural gas trapped in these geological formations. But there are very few places that they can take the gas. By far the closest destination for these oceans of fracked gas is the Pacific Northwest. If we don't consume it, if we don't export it, if we don't convert it into a petrochemical, they don't have a market for it. And so it will stay locked up under the ground. When people come together, there is power in numbers. We had the community and the community was going to hold our elected officials responsible. They were going to hold this company responsible. People were going at noon on a Thursday to a port commission meeting. You have a brief amount of time to do what they call public comment at those meetings. And so you get up there and you say what you have to say, and you hope that you're educating them, and you hope that you're reaching other members of the public. 
and then you leave. The first couple of meetings weren't very well attended. And by the end, those meetings were standing room only. At the beginning, the water issue was definitely the greatest concern. This refinery would have used 20 to 25 percent of the entire Green River that supplies water to probably a million and a half people. This was right at a time when the city of Tacoma put signs all over town and said, please conserve water, we are in an emergency drought. Tacoma was a pawn in a global energy game that everyone else knew about, its lobbyists, politicians, but not necessarily people who lived in this community. And that was very upsetting. But we rallied. We had hundreds of people show up at the local meetings. They held a couple of scoping meetings where thousands of people showed up. At this scoping meeting, everybody that wanted to could get up and say their questions, their concerns, their comments. The company was not prepared for the questions that were being asked. Cliff Petridge is a longtime Port of Tacoma commissioner. And I think that the community became extremely active in their opposition to it. What was difficult was the kind of opposition that came with people that had not looked carefully at what the issues were all about. Nobody believed anything they said, and when it came to the point where they were forced to get an extension on their lease, they hadn't really produced anything about how they would try to conserve some water or conserve some electricity. Northwest Innovation Works decided to take a pause to the project. A couple more weeks after that, they decided to withdraw the project. While activists celebrated the demise of the methanol refinery, proponents like Lou Paulson, the director of strategic operations projects and risk management at the Port of Tacoma, saw the defeat in a different light. I think we missed an opportunity to describe that this project was going to displace a substantial amount of coal out of the manufacturing processes in China. I think had we approached it from that standpoint, it would have reshaped the very way in which people looked at the project. We knew all along that Northwest Innovation Works had actually planned to build three methanol refineries right here in the Northwest. After we defeated Methanol in Tacoma, Northwest Innovation Works moved to Kalama and started up their refinery there in earnest. And we stand in solidarity with Kalama and helped them out as much as we could with posters and banners and buttons and shared all our documents and information. Kalama is a very idyllic community. It's up on a hill. Most homes have amazing views of the Columbia River. I can drive down to the marina, park, walk down to my boat, and in five minutes I can be on the river fishing. The Port of Kalama has provided waterfront access. They're also providing access for Northwest Innovation Works. When I moved to Kalama, I thought that the port had its big industries. Sally Keeley is a 22-year resident of Kalama and a mathematics professor at Clark College in Vancouver, Washington. She, along with her daughter Cambria and husband Mark, have been fighting the Kalama methanol refinery since 2016. I thought that they would be more progressive and bring in things that were more sustainable, maybe solar industry or making windmills. It would be the largest methanol refinery in the world, which is pretty surprising because if you go to a town like Kalama with a few thousand people, nothing there is the largest in the world. Jasmine Zimmer-Stuckey was senior organizer for Columbia Riverkeeper from 2012 to 2019. It's so out of proportion to what the community looks like, feels like, wants to be. Many of the people who opposed the methanol refinery were veterans of past fossil fuel struggles along the Columbia River. Twelve years earlier, a massive pipeline was being proposed to carry frack gas to liquid natural gas export terminals planned for Classic County, Oregon, on the other side of the Columbia River, about 40 miles downstream from Kalama. 
the pipeline would have crossed the properties of many landowners in Cowlitz County. These residents banded together with people in Oregon and over a 12-year period stopped all of the LNG projects from being built. But as they were defeating LNG, the largest coal terminal in North America was being proposed for Longview, just nine miles north of Kalama. So the LNG opponents refocused their efforts on fighting the coal terminal. We were all in with the coal fight. We had actually an office in downtown Longview where we were staging all our field operations. Columbia Riverkeeper was one of a handful of regional environmental groups opposing fossil fuel projects in Cowlitz County. Jasmine Zimmer-Stuckey was their point person in Longview. I specifically remember this fellow walked into our office, kind of just off the street, and he said, you know, I hate the cold. It's the worst thing ever. I wish we were fighting the methanol refinery in Kalama. And it was just like a message from the universe. And so we called a couple of our folks that we knew in Kalama. We asked, did they know about this? They said, yes, they were concerned. They'd like to fight it. And so we said, great, we'd like to fight it with you. We had this huge Columbia Riverkeeper hosted meeting to try to understand the actual facts and how to give comments in hearings. Two days later, there was a huge hearing attended by over a thousand people, most of them proponents of the project because of the jobs that they had been promised. Cambria at age 14 spoke at that meeting. I did too. As a parent, mathematician, educator, and citizen of Kalama, I vehemently opposed the frac gas to methanol refinery and export terminal. This refinery would emit over a million tons of carbon dioxide a year, the total carbon emissions of roughly a quarter million cars. My name is Cambria Keeley, and I'm a citizen of Kalama. Over the past 15 years, the aspects I and others have most treasured of my hometown were its pure water and clean air. Now, with the proposal of this methanol refinery, these features are threatened. My neighbor and I attended the initial meeting to try to find out a little bit more about what was going on. John Flint is retired from Union Pacific Railroad and has lived in Kalama since 2010. The more information I gathered and the more involved I got, the stronger my objection to this project became. I got on the internet and wanted to know about methanol refineries, how large they were and where they were located. I wanted to know what the impacts of a methanol refinery were on the local community. Diane Dick, a 34-year resident of Cowlitz County, has been involved in environmental issues since 2012. I realized this is going to be the world's largest methanol refinery here in Kalama. Why Kalama? We're not going to use the methanol in Kalama. It's going to Asia. NWIW chose Kalama as a soft target, somewhat economically depressed, so they came in here touting tax revenue to the county, to the local school district, jobs, jobs, jobs. The recipe that has been used at every facility across the Northwest is the first thing you do is make agreements with the building trades that they will build this project. During construction, we'll employ up to 1,000 construction workers. V. Gottlieb, president of Northwest Innovation Works, gave a presentation in 2017 at a clean air permit hearing for the methanol refinery. We'll have approximately 200 full-time direct employed during operations, and we'll also provide for 500 indirect and induced jobs because of our project. I don't know anybody in the town of Kalama who would be qualified to work in a petrochemical refinery. A lot of the people would be brought in either from China or from the Gulf Coast who have refinery experience. I think we've been courted by speculators and entrepreneurs who realize that there is a certain naivety about this area and a certain provincialism 
we're not aware of some of the broader issues or we're not aware of the questions we need to ask. Northwest Innovation Works has never built a methanol plant before. This way of taking fracked methane gas and turning it into methanol has never been done on an industrial scale before. Where they propose to put it is been on dredge spoils. This is a naturally low-lying area. None of the port is diked, so it's all subject to sea level rise. You also have the impacts of large tanker vessels coming up the Columbia River and impacting other vessel traffic and fish and wildlife. The plant would have a 240-foot flare stack for burning off excess volatile organic compounds. What is methanol? Methanol is naturally occurring. Our bodies naturally produce methanol as part of how we process internally. When trees break down, they produce methanol. Methanol is the simplest alcohol known to man. It's non-carcinogenic. It's biodegradable, and it's odorless. When you have methanol spill into a river, it basically is going to kill what's ever in the river. Methanol can consume the oxygen as it mixes with water, and so you can have a fish kill associated with a methanol spill. Dan Sears is the conservation director for Columbia Riverkeeper. And the Columbia River, obviously, at the mouth of the Klamath River, that's really prime fishing territory. This project site is proposed very, very near two of my favorite spots to fish for salmon in the Columbia River. John Flynn retired to Klamath because of the area's outstanding fishing. And I just cannot see myself out there in my boat fishing with family and friends with this methanol refinery looming over the river and spewing clouds of vapor and potentially hazardous byproducts into the air. People are going to have to live next to this thing and every day stare at this massive plume hanging above them with all the volatile organic compounds and other contaminants that will be coming out of it. The methanol plant is actually a three-phase operation. Sally Keeley with Clean Air Kalama. One of which is the 3.1-mile lateral pipeline from the Williams Northwest fracked gas pipeline that runs north-south over to the Kalama methanol plant. Through the use of eminent domain, they would force their way through private property and a pioneer cemetery just to deliver the methane gas to this methanol refinery. Eminent domain is used primarily for things like if you need to bring a major highway through or you have to expand an airport. It's not for corporate gain. And here we have eminent domain used to take private citizens' land for a private corporate LCC company to bring in this pipeline for their methanol plant so that we can export our natural resources. There were some people up there who might not have been opposed to the methanol refinery, but they certainly were opposed to that pipeline. To find like the impacted landowners along the pipeline, I just like looked at the tax file property lots and traced what I thought was the route of the lateral pipeline and sent a bunch of letters saying, are you on the pipeline route? If so, give me a call. And a couple of weeks later, I got a dozen phone calls. In September 2018, Kalama methanol opponents gathered for a picnic at the historic Mount Pleasant Cemetery near Kalama. Where we are standing is along the proposed pipeline route that would supply fracked gas from the Rockies in Canada or the Colorado Rockies to the proposed refinery. Along the road, you'll see pink flagging tape That's the proposed pipeline route. The pipeline would be a high-pressure gas pipeline, 24 inches, that would come along with a 100-foot construction right-of-way and a 75-foot permanent easement for the company to access the pipeline whenever they needed it. 
All of you are giving your time, and we're asking you to give your time in the future to help bring an end to this project, just like you have with the coal terminal in Longview and the oil terminal in Vancouver. So thank you very much. The Port of Kalama is the landlord for the land that Northwest Innovation Works wants to build on. And Cowlitz County is slated to receive a significant amount of tax revenue from this project. All of the folks who are slated to make a lot of money are the ones making the decisions around the environmental review. Everybody, there's Richard DeBolt. He is our state representative member, and he works for NWIW. This is a complete conflict of interest and code of, hey, breach we're, of we're, code of ethics. Hey, hey, hey. We may have to... DeBolt, on the way out, Thanks, how it is not a breach of the code of ethics to work for this company that, and receive money from the Chinese government. Thank you. The president of the company, B. Godley, was lobbying to have NWIW receive favorable tax treatment for this project. So at the same time they're saying this is going to be profitable for the community, they're trying to reduce their tax burden at the state legislature. Diane Dick, Cowlitz County activist. And having someone like Richard Diebolt in the state legislature cast a shadow on the ethics involved in having our government officials support these projects before the permits are even issued. We actually did some records requests and we found that Washington State thought that it was going to need to have its environmental review be housed under FSEC, the Energy Facility Siting Evaluation Council. Northwest Innovation Works followed up with a few emails that we also got through public records requests saying, we actually think that it's a project that is more appropriate to be reviewed by the Port of Kalama and Cowlitz County. And unfortunately, the state acquiesced. About a year ago, things were looking pretty grim when some of the permits were granted. Columbia Riverkeeper, Sierra Club, and Center for Biological Diversities appealed some of the findings of the environmental impact statement and the shorelines permits, and we won. They agreed with our claim that the project would need to have a new environmental impact statement that actually looked at the emissions from fracking, emissions along the pipeline route with methane leakage, and emissions from shipping. The legal victory invalidated a number of the permits that Northwest Innovation Works was holding. Once those numbers are made public, I am very, very hopeful that our governor, the State Department of Ecology, the Department of Natural Resources will all come out against permitting this project. So we're here today uh, to learn how to write public comments for the comment period we're in right now regarding the Kalama Methanol Refinery. Folks from the Pacific Northwest have submitted over 18,000 public comments in opposition to this project. So although Kalama is a small town, you are not alone in your opposition and your concern. Folks from around the region are standing up to support you. There are two opportunities during these environmental reviews for the public to get involved. The first is scoping, and then the second is when the draft environmental impact statement comes out. But when the draft supplemental environmental impact statement was released, local headlines proclaimed that Kalama methanol will result in a reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. I wasn't surprised to see the way that they spun the numbers and downplayed the ramifications, in particular by choosing this ridiculously low number in the methane leaks from the fracking well site and the pipelines. Sally Keeley with Clean Air Kalama. The numbers that other reports are showing is between 2.7% leakage rate and a 17% leakage rate, and yet they chose to use in this DSEIS a 0.32% leakage rate. That number comes from a study from the year 2000 by the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers 
All the science that's happened since then has shown leakage is many times worse, not only in the U.S., but also in Canada. Peter Erickson is a senior scientist with Stockholm Environment Institute in Seattle. During comment writing workshops, opponents circulated a discussion brief he co-wrote that examined Kalamamethanol's extensive greenhouse gas emissions and also questioned whether the methanol would be used for fuel rather than making plastics, as Northwest Innovation Works was claiming. A recent paper published in the journal Science in 2018 looked at almost all the studies over the last decade. They came up with a system-wide methane loss rate of 2.3%. Northwest Innovation Works commissioned the Low Carbon Prosperity Institute in Seattle to write a paper challenging Stockholm Environment Institute's findings and supporting the draft Supplemental Environmental Impact Statement conclusions. Kevin Tempest was the lead researcher. This is a long-term infrastructure project, so if it goes into place over the course of time, leakage rates aren't going to be what they are today necessarily. I would like to be optimistic that we're going to do something about methane leakage over the long run because it's something that can be addressed. There's not very much reason to be optimistic. There's no indication that overall methane loss is really going down. And we've just had a premier elected in Alberta who based his platform on rolling back regulations on the oil and gas industry. Some of the gas for this project would probably come from Alberta. Some of the gas in the EIS that is claimed as British Columbia is not. It's Albertan. And there's no excuse for using a very low, less than 1% methane loss rate in the EIS. In sharp contrast to the initial methanol refinery public hearings a few years earlier, which were dominated by supporters of the project, the December 2018 public hearing for the draft Supplemental Environmental Impact Statement was filled with vocal and impassioned opponents of the methanol refinery. Local residents were joined by hundreds of people from across the region who voiced their opposition, including a contingent from Tacoma. The only supporters were businesses with financial interests in the project, building trades union members, and local elected officials. As a member of the Cowlitz County Board of Commissioners, I congratulate the applicant for its life cycle analysis of greenhouse gas emissions. In a world filled with significant trade-offs, where the good is not the enemy of the perfect, I believe this proposal is an important step forward in building a cleaner future for the entire Pacific Rim. The opponents come dangerously close to supporting a rather racist attitude if they believe we have our riches and wealthy standard of living, you don't get yours. Good evening, everybody. My name is Claudia Wiedner. The people in Dalian, China, would be recipients of this methanol if it's not being used for fuel but as a feedstock as promised. The people in Dalian have been in the streets by the tens of thousands because the plastic factories in China are polluting the air so badly that the people in Dalian cannot breathe. Do we want to further that? Do we want to be the plastic bigot to the world and pollute the air here and pollute it over there as well? My name's Paul Thiers. I'm a professor at Washington State University, Vancouver. I'm trained as a political scientist, and my primary research area is China. The claim of net reduction in greenhouse gas emissions relies on this idea that the methanol will be used to feed the chemical industry. In fact, when oil drops below $80 a barrel, naphtha cracking, the traditional method for making olfins in China, is the cheapest and preferred method. 
If the price of oil is taken into account, it's very clear that this product is going to end up being used as transportation fuel, which will change the GHG analysis completely. And I think that the DSEIS needs to be redone for that reason. My name is Cam Keeley, and I am a 17-year-old resident of Kalama, Washington. Northwest Innovation Works and the Port of Kalama spin their truth in their favor by cherry-picking data to put in the DSEIS. One glaring example is using stats from the United Nations IPCC 2007 assessment, but not even referencing the more recent IPCC 2014 assessment. They, in their EIS, are using incorrect analysis from 18, 19 years ago. It really raises questions about what their motivations are, and when they don't respond to the basic points about what they're doing, it starts to look like they're purposefully obfuscating the underlying facts about methane and about how methane contributes to the impact of Kalama. People are sick of being walked on. They're sick of being told by their decision makers that all you deserve is increased cancer rates because of this dirty coal terminal, followed by this dirty oil terminal, followed by two propane export terminal proposals. It has just been piled on to these community members in Cowlitz County, and they have had enough. Along the front lines of the Northwest struggle against frac gas, this is Barbara Bernstein for Making Contact. The world's largest methanol refinery was written, narrated, and produced by Barbara Bernstein, who also composed and performed the music. What you're hearing now is by Blue Dot Sessions. Melissa Marsland, Patty Kuhlberg, and Lisa Rudman were editing consultants. Barbara Bernstein received funding from the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Stephen and Jan Marks, and the Fund for Investigative Journalism. Special thanks to Columbia Riverkeeper, Rogue Climate, Claudia Reedner, and John Carlton. If you enjoyed this program, go to radioproject.org for more episodes of Making Contact. Music